Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Robin Berner and Jeremy Smith. The ooh, It felt like the Twilight Zone on Sunday night, when it looked like my news section would start with an Eric Maxing Chupamoting goal, giving Paris Saint-Germain their eighth league title. But thanks to the Cameroon International for returning to the status quo with potentially the worst miss ever. But who did capitalise on golden opportunities this weekend and who else missed sitters? All of this and more after your latest headlines. On Friday night, Bordeaux finally won their first game under Paulo Sosa as they won 2-0 over Marseille. Francois Camano's penalty and Nicolas de Preville's strike earned Le Girondin their victory, which was marred slightly by Pablo's late red card as Loem saw any realistic chance of chasing for the Champions League places go with smoke. However, hope may have mildly renewed after Lyon fell to sub a surprising 3-1 defeat to Dijon. The Mustard side won their first first game in league uh, since January to lift themselves into the relegation playoff place. Or Bruno Genesio's position at Legon looks more and more like a formality to not be his come the end of the season. In the multiplex, Gangon faced further heartbreak as an added time strike from Stefan Jovetic gave Monaco a 1-1. All draw at the Rudewer, or Caen slipped back into the relegation zone as they were beaten 2-0 at Nîmes. Elsewhere in the multiplex, two entertaining draws as Angers and Rennes fought to a 3-3 draw with goals from two barrel-named players in uh, Jeffran Adelaide and Hatem Ben-Arfa, while Saint-Étienne left it late to draw 2-2 at Amiens, failing to seize on their rival's mistake in the chase for Champions League football. On Sunday, Lille left the door open for a coronation this weekend as Remy Udan cancelled out Jose Font's goal in Rasmus 1 or draw with the second place side, while Toulouse have Isiaga Silla to thank for the 1-0 win over Nonk, all but sealing their safety this season. And Nice strengthened their Europa League chase with a 1-0 victory over fellow fighters Montpellier. In the final match of the weekend, Paris Saint-Germain will have to wait another week at least to be crowned league and champions as they were drew 2-2 with Strasbourg. Eric Maxim Chupamoteng gave the hosts the lead, but Nuno da Costa and Anthony Gonçalves pulled the away side in front, but Tilo Kera equalised late on, leaving PSG needing just to avoid defeat against Lyon next weekend to seal the title. And that's all for now. But to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with things at the bottom of the table because yet again, they all three sides have flipped again. We mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago that, well, literally last week, actually, that every single side in that bottom three has been in one of those three positions in the last three weeks. And yet they've returned to the status quo of four weeks ago now with Dijon's massive win at the weekend, Robin. It was one that I don't think anyone really saw coming and uh, aided by two deflected goals certainly but absolutely important to Quambore's side that this was a, a vital win at a much needed time yeah absolutely I mean I think if you if, if you look in the context of the whole season this might be the most surprising result because Dijon had gone into the game with in just absolutely abject form uh, I'm sure you guys have discussed in the past just how poor they've been 
uh, there was really no sign of them turning a corner before before the, the weekend and uh, especially after Leon took the lead in the first minute you, you know you, you you'd expect the home side then to go on and win the game you know with something to spare obviously Dijon sc- scored almost immediately afterwards and then got a little bit of luck on on the second goal um but they played very well all things considered um, although I, I think that the main talking talking point sorry has to be just how bad Leon were and that's really, in all honesty, Jez, that the, the point we'll sort of go on is that it's another moment where Leon have played down to one of those teams below them. That Frequently this season, we mentioned that in the bigger games, they have seemed to turn up and, and, and fight for their corner. But when they face these lower teams, they, they put in a shift like this. And while it does seem like one of the most surprising results, I thought Robin made a good point in that. It also feels like something you kind of half expect at Leon at the moment. Yeah, I think it's something that, that we, we, we've seen several times over the last two or three years. And um, I mean, although although Genesio is obviously getting all the stick for it, at, at some point, I think the players also have to share a little bit of the blame. And, and at this point, I'm not even sure it's just down to Genesio and the players. I think Olas generally is, has done brilliantly by Lyon over the last 20 years or so. And, and um, you know, although he comes up with a lot of controversial stuff for for French football in general, by by Lyon, he's he's usually done the right thing. But I feel like the last two or three weeks, I'm not sure that he's he's played the whole Genesio situation well at all, and the fans as well. Even um, whether you agree or not with with uh, whether Genesio really is a top class coach, I don't think the fans have done Genesio or or the team themselves any favours and. At the moment, it just feels like kind of outright civil war within the club with sort of all three or four factions fighting against each other. And that's obviously not going to help the players on the pitch. Um, and yeah, as Robin said, that they had the perfect start, but Dijon came back extremely quickly. And whereas you'd have expected the Dijon heads to go down, it was it was the Lyon ones that went down instead. And, um, you know, whereas... As you said, they, they they do play down to the lower teams sometimes. This one felt like more than that. It felt like the result of everything that's going on in and around the club at the moment. Yeah, and that's the disappointment, really, Robin. I mean, there's been rumours circulating for for a long while that Genesio has never really quite uh, felt like he was in full control of the job security, at least anyway. But it, it's it's getting to the point where it's almost been untenable. I mean, Olas looked like he was going to give him a, a new two-year deal just before that game against Ren in the Cup in midweek, and then the rug pulled from underneath him almost after the defeat, and it leads again to, to unrest in this game where they, they never really looked like, after they'd scored, like they would score again. It, it, this surely seems like time up for Genesio, and if it is, who's the right man to come in to replace him? Yeah, as you say, I think his position's completely untenable he's been uh, left humiliated by by the situation there and it's something that should really have been resolved one way or the other before now I think um, as Jeremy said it's left it's left the club in a, in a huge state of uncertainty um, and obviously there's there's loads of different factions uh, coming against each other and it's actually been quite funny I think because it's not been an absolutely disastrous season for Leon. Um, they've obviously done reasonably well in the Champions League. Uh, it looks like even even after last week's result that they should still reach the Champions League next year or at least the, 
the qualifying rounds of the Champions League. So it's not as if they've had a, a, a sort of catastrophic season, but it, I, I think it's just the, the fact that they've failed to live up to any sort of potential. I mean, they should probably be about 10 or 15 points better off in the league. Um, they should have at least mounted some kind of remote title challenge to PSG, which they've completely failed to do. Um, and it, it does seem that the club's in a, a real sort of state of flux and they've never really had any sort of stability under Genesio. Obviously, Laurent Blanc's the, the man who, who seems to be most talked about at the moment. And you would like to think that if he came into the club, that he would have some sort of, some sort of authority over um, perhaps the board and the players that Genesio's not had. But I, I do think it's a difficult situation for Leon. It's going to be difficult to select the next coach uh, and, and whoever that is, he's he's going to be under a lot of pressure to perform well. Um, obviously, we've had uh, Benitez linked and uh, rather ridiculously Jose Mourinho linked. And to be honest, I can't imagine a worse coach for Leon than Mourinho at the moment. Yeah, I don't think the fans, the fans or the players would be particularly pleased about the, the Portuguese rocket. But another name linked as well heavily, and they've even had to come out and, and deny the reports um, earlier this week, Jeremy, that um, that um, Laurent Blanc might be the one heading there. Would would he be someone that, that would not only be available to them and, and of interest to, for him to join them, but also someone that would, would push them further because he, he, you know, he, he does have a very good resume at least anyway, but there, there is also concerns as well. Yeah. It's, I think it's hard to tell with Blanc. He's obviously got the, the great reputation. I mean, first of all, as a player, so you, you'd hope that other players will sort of look up to him and, and play up to him. Although obviously the, the only experience at Monaco shows that that's not necessarily the case. And he's got, I think it's, I think maybe four four league out titles to his name. I think that's right. One of Bordeaux's three in PSG. But at the same time, he's been out of management for about three years now. And also, there's there's always been this this sort of strong rumor that wherever he's been, the real brains behind the outfit has been Gasset, who's obviously doing a great job at Saint Etienne now. So I very much doubt he'd leave a sort of number one post to to go back as, as someone else's assistant. So um, although on paper he's, he's got this great, this great CV, as you said, um, there is sort of still an element of unknown there. Um, so you, you can see the attraction for Olas in, in the interview he gave last week to Lecky. He made a big play about how he, he wants it to be someone who, who's got the reputation, but also the, the, the French knowledge um, sort of language and of and of Liga as well. So, Blanc obviously fits the bill there. But um, if the rumours are true that Blanc was more the figurehead and it was Gasset who was doing all the hard graft, then then there is still a, a bit of a risk inherent in him coming in. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? He ticks a fair amount of boxes, but I suppose that I'll maybe personally, at least anyway, put a, put aside that sort of concern. I think that. You can always say the brains behind it. Someone is a, a number two, but you never really get to those big positions without having something yourself as well. It, I can't imagine that it's it's, a, it's too much of a detriment to, to Leon. But, but sort of back to the relegation fight, at least. And, and Dijon's massive win is sort of confounded the other two back to the relegation places after both briefly jumped out of it. And starting with Gengon, um, 
on this one, Robin. It, it's a bit of a heartbreaking result for them at the weekend, although Monaco had a few chances before they did end up scoring. It will give them the sort of heartbreak of what has been really a, a, a bad week. The the cup defeat, then followed by a pretty poor display against Montpellier, where two counter-attack goals, have, um, more than anything, have, have sort of destroyed them. And then uh, an added time goal has stopped them from getting three points here, which could have even dragged Monaco back into things. Yeah, it would have been very interesting if Gangon had held out there. Um, although, as you kind of alluded to, I think they would have been a little bit lucky. Monaco had uh, two or three really, really presentable chances before before they eventually scored. Carlos Vinicius should have equalised immediately after after the opening goal, and I think Kayar got a lot of credit for the for the save, which was a good one, but it was an absolutely abysmal finish at the same time. Uh, and yeah. Um, Although Gangon have have obviously been sucker punched by this late goal, I think they have to take a lot of confidence from from the manner in which they played. Um, you know, this is sort of Monaco have obviously, if we put aside the, the cameras a week earlier, which in my opinion was something of a fluke given the, the domination they had on the game. Uh, so Monaco have been going generally quite well. And I think Gang will have to take a bit of confidence from from how close they, they got to taking three points in that game. Um, obviously, now it looks like it's going to be between the bottom three. You know, th- those positions are, I think, just about set in stone. Um, but if, if they can carry that sort of form going forward, I think they can at least nip into the playoff position and, and probably win the playoff. And that's... Sort of the goal for all three of them, really, at the moment, isn't it, Jez? But thinking of of Gangon, not just this weekend, but in the last few weeks, really, it's been a a bit of a an up and down time for them. It has been that that result against Dijon looked like it gave them some real hope, and now they're back at the bottom of the table again, where games are starting to thin out now. But again, at the same time, they've got Strasbourg next week, which is it, at the moment they're in good form, but that's not necessarily you would possibly pin that as a winnable game a home game against Marseille is possibly winnable at the moment you might argue as well so there there is certainly still chances there but it's just that they're running out of time more than anything yeah I I mean that's bottom three despite what was what happened last weekend and this weekend I'd say that um Gangon probably the certainly over the last few weeks the, the formed team of those three but I think a lot just depends on on how they react to, to this week um, it's been such such a blow for them you know coming so close to winning a cup and then um, coming I guess even closer to, to, to getting the three points this weekend which would have been a, a huge boost for them um, taking them back off the bottom and sort of reacting to those the, the, the Dijon Congress the fact that they didn't get that and I think probably on paper they've got maybe, I think you could probably argue that a harder run in of the three teams maybe less sort of less winnable matches and certainly the, the most difficult final match of the season um, had, had they held on for that for that win against Monaco um, I'd have definitely had them as, as favourites to, to get that playoff place. But I just think a lot depends on how they react to, to, to such a tough week for them, sort of partly in terms of their results, but also obviously how, how Caen Dijon did. Um, I'm hoping that they, they, they bounce back and, and can sort of um, take faith in, in the form that they've showed, in the fact that they almost beat Monaco. Um, 
and and sort of carry on that form but you could also see them really sort of it would be understandable if their heads dropped and they sort of thought you know after all we've done with back at the bottom we haven't got that cup um it's just not going to go for us this year yeah, it feels like that a number of times again on, but uh, that's what you start fearing is they're losing that chances and thinking about next weekend. Dijon, I've got Amion, which is a massive game, which might even pull them towards them or at least help Dijon out after they've got a bit of momentum. But talking about Monaco, at least anyway, on, on this one, Robin, because we mentioned in a, a, the, for, the sort of forefoot of uh, Jardim's second coming, as you might call it, they, they started really well, but... The last two games have been really alarming. I mean, the defeat to Cole came out of nowhere, really, and they, while they had a number of chances, they failed to stick them away, and it took a long time to get the goal that eventually only got them a point at the, the Ruderoo. Is there concerns that Jardim has had that initial hit, at least anyway, of, of that new manager bounce, but it's not been able to sustain it? Is that a worry for next season? Um, I think Monaco, more or less, written off this season obviously um, looking towards next season I, I don't think they'll necessarily draw too many conclusions from the last few matches of this year because I imagine they're going to completely overhaul their squad or uh, at least change it quite significantly um, you know as you say that the can result did come completely out of the blue and I have to say I wouldn't have read too much into it if they hadn't produced a, a, a similar-ish performance against Gangon this weekend um, they have certainly created plenty of chances in both games, and I think on on a, on a normal sort of uh, normal sort of circumstances, you'd expect them to win both of the matches, given how many how many opportunities they had and how many really good opportunities they had. Uh, so, so while there there should certainly be concerns, I, I'm not massively worried about where Monaco are heading at the moment. Um, it certainly was a little bit flat at the weekend, but. Perhaps that was to be a little bit expect, a little bit expected. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. As I say, I don't. I, ultimately, I don't think it's going to have any impact on next season at all. Yeah, they kind of need to hit the reset button. Is maybe the, the best way to put it. Really, they these last couple of weeks are essentially which players are actually fighting for us who and and are wanting to work and and have a future at this club and who are really looking at pastures new or or looking too far ahead and maybe um, have a see about shifting them out at least anyway but uh, not a great result for them but not a great result for for Cone either and, and just like we mentioned there uh, just that the Cone result last week definitely came out of the blue it's their first win since December and we mentioned on uh, the show afterwards that with their running they have a great chance but a defeat against Neem just hits you a little bit harder not while they're only a point off Dijon still it feels like it's just going to come down to those two games. They have that double header against the other two teams that it's going to matter whether they stay up or whether they are, are relegated. Uh, they've got to be the, the the matches that they look at and think they, those are the ones that we need to go all out on. If we get you know, six or maybe even four points from them, then that may well be all that we need. Um they showed last week that they are capable of, of pulling out a result elsewhere as well. Um, I don't think losing away to Neem is, is, I don't think there's, there's any need to draw too many conclusions from that. We've seen all the way through the season that Neem on their day can play some really good football. Um, TU looked, looked really bright with a couple of assists. If you can call the second one an assist, it was, it was almost 
it was kind of similar to 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 Dijon's third goal against Lyon. It was kind of unlucky deflection that, that crept in at the near post and had to keep it wrong footed. But um, yeah, the better teams than Caen are going to come away from come come away from Nîmes with a defeat. So um, I don't think there's too much to be read into that. But yeah, as I said, I think they they do have they've got those that double header, but they've also got Angers at home next week, which isn't a formality. Angers tough to beat even though they, they don't seem to win much um, and so it is sort of in in Kant's hands but I just of the three personally I think they're the, they're the weakest weakest team um, even though the, they're, the fixtures that are coming up aren't, aren't the worst in the world I just don't think that they've got the quality to, to pull themselves out of it yeah, and it's a it's a funny one, isn't it, Robin? Because I mean, every couple of years, Conor sort of struggled for the last few years, but they always managed to get that one or two results here and there that that kept their head above water. And I, I thought a couple of weeks ago when the coup d'état came out about uh, Roland Corby trying to claim that he had hundred percent control and and the club rejecting it, and that would be sort of the death knell. But then they went and got that win against Monaco, but. Have they got enough quality to try and stay up, or, or do you think that really that that Monica feels the result feels like maybe a little bit of a misnomer, or or, or do you think that maybe that next weekend against Angers is another one of those games, much like the last couple of seasons, that can't get that little win that just about keeps their heads above water? Well, I think certainly think the Monaco game was, as I said earlier, a complete fluke. I think it was Brice Samba that came out after the, the result at the weekend and said it was a miracle that they got the win. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with I would agree with the keeper there. Um, uh, in terms of looking at Kong going forward, uh, I just can't see it. I just don't think they've got enough uh, firepower. I don't think they've got enough creativity in their team. I think they're probably too one-dimensional. Um, I, I, just, I just can't see them staying up. I don't have too much hope for Kong, to be honest. And I don't think anyone would blame you at the moment, really. They, they just are a bit uninteresting as well, aren't they? Out, out of the three sides, they don't really have a an X factor really in the the attacking areas. They've got a couple of sort of journeyman strikers here and there, but they've just not really got anything going for them. Midfield has struggled. They've just not looked interesting all season, and it just feels like it's gonna gonna end in in disaster for them. But onto matters. Uh, up the table at least now in a way and it looked like Paris Saint-Germain were going to win the title this weekend and that would be what we let off with just but unfortunately for them they have to hold on to the party poppers at least for for one week at least but an interesting game really because a couple of missed players Mbappe started on the bench after a bit of a knock and the they, they tried out a, a couple of extras, including Maxim Chupamoteng, who will live on in memes forever, it looks like, especially <laughs> if not Mbappe's reaction to his miss certainly will. But it felt a little bit of a strange game overall for Paris Saint-Germain because two chances for Strasbourg, two goals. And again, it's that lethargic end to the season because they don't really have a lot to play for. It's, it's the same thing that we've seen for the last three, four seasons now, obviously, apart from the one where they were fighting against Monaco for the title and, and ultimately lost out. But they're so far ahead that they are... It's, everyone always says about teams that are mid-table and not fighting for Europe and not, not threatened by relegation that they're sort of on the beach um, from, from a certain point near the end of the season. 
it's bizarre that although PSG haven't yet won the title and have still got a cup final to play for, effectively, uh, when they when they lost to Man United, that was that was their sort of backing up for the seaside moment. They're going to win the title at some point. They need to turn up for one more match at, at the Stade de France, if it is at the Stade de France, I can't remember, but for the final. Um, and apart from that, they just got to try to lift themselves for these matches. And um, you know, maybe Tuchel's doing the right thing, mixing it up, experimenting, getting Nkunku players like that to, to play a little bit more, um, giving Trupamotti a chance to, to to add to his, his little goal tally. But um, yeah, just despite the fact that they do have the title to confirm, you can understand. Um, I'm not feeling sorry for them or anything, but you can understand why it's hard for the for the club to sort of raise themselves and really motivate themselves. But at the same time, you've got to give Strasbourg credit. We've seen it through the season that they do play good football. They make themselves hard to beat. Certainly they have done against PSG twice now. Um, Gonsalves' goal was fantastic. And, um, you know, good for them for, for, for going to the Parc de Pass and, and not, not showing PSG too much respect and taking the game to them. Man, it, I think we have to sort of discuss the the hot topic at the moment, Robin, and it is that miss. I, I was having a little bit of debate with a with a family member the other day uh, earlier today. Is that the worst miss in history? It's certainly the worst miss I can remember. Um, you know, people talk a lot about what the chances that were harder to to miss and uh, it's harder to miss and score, and certainly for my money, that's that's one of them. I mean. When he made contact with the ball, he was almost literally on the goal line. He just needed to put any sort of remote forward momentum in the ball and it was going to go in. It was going to go in anyway if, if he hadn't touched it. Um, so, yeah, for my money, it's certainly the worst miss I can remember. It's, it's just absolutely astonishing. Yeah, and I, I think um, me and a friend joked that it, it, he almost tried to Kramerich it, um, the the, the uh, Croatian striker who nicked a hat-trick from Mishak Belfadil last weekend. He, he almost stopped in cuckoo scoring more than anything, really, it's rather than uh, selfishly trying to get a goal himself. But uh, Robin, sticking with you, uh, the, the interesting one after the game, at least anyway, was a, a little bit of a tetchy side from, from Thomas Tuchel, who, who sort of got, went at a, a journalist who wasn't a... Strasbourg shirt, which is unusual in itself, but a little bit of a, a show of fire from the from the German, a little bit from what we've seen at least so far, a bit not the first time that he's um, got a little bit annoyed at something relatively little in the end. Yeah, but I, I think you probably have to put it into context. He probably thought the title was going to be wrapped up last night. He will feel that the title should have been wrapped up. Um, obviously, Chupo Moting's miss. Uh, had a huge bearing in it not being not being one. The, the performance was mediocre at best. There was a lot of things going against PSG last night, so to be confronted by something like that immediately after the game, I, I've got a bit of sympathy for him, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's a strange one, isn't it? A lot of people are saying that um, he shouldn't really be rising to something like that, but it does seem strange for anyone, really, in those sort of matters to be wearing a shirt of the any of the teams really it seems a little bit unprofessional uh, I, I, I thought it was a bit unedifying from Tuchel I mean it was it was a ridiculous thing for him to do and, and Paganelli sort of held his hands up and said it was just a really bad joke that went wrong but I just I felt like Tuchel probably should pick his battles and I'm not suggesting for a moment that that the fact that being sports and PSG are owned by the same people um, 
does have a bearing on anything that happens within the league. But, you know, if you're talking about issues of potential bias, uh, a pitch side reporter who isn't taken that seriously anyway, wearing a shirt is a lot less potentially problematic than PSG and B and both being uh, owned by QSI. So I just, I think Tuchel's on slightly dangerous ground, even even making a fuss about it and highlighting it personally. And also just, I've been annoyed, I get annoyed about this all the time, like people, to be fair, mostly French people constantly on Twitter saying, oh, this is so bloody typical of France and French football and it's rubbish and you never see this kind of thing in the Premier League. To be honest, I, I quite like that they have a pitch reporter and then they get in these players' faces and, you know, we'll probably talk about Tovan later. You don't even get that in England and um, at least, you know, most of the time the players are so polished that you, you just get cliches and, and platitudes from them anyway. But I quite like that at least in France, you can get the reporters do get close to the players and close to the coaches. And, you know, we often see from the, the microphones as players are going back into the tunnel at, at half time and full time. You get the kind of thing that you'd never get in the Premier League because here everything is... You know, all the players are so revered and idolised that it's almost like they're, you know, on, on a sort of separate cloud and they're not allowed to hear or think anything from them. So, um, you know, you sort of take the rough with the smooth. But overall, as a fan, I think it's a good thing that, you know, even if he does do stupid, misplaced things like that, that you have people like Paganelli in, in Liga. Mm, absolutely. And going on to Strasbourg themselves, really, Robin, it's great that they've won the Coupe de Ligue and they'll be representing France in, in Europe next season. It's a great achievement and a sort of a fast track of their own sort of plan of, of improvement and, and remaining in Ligue 1 for, for the foreseeable future as well. But um, it's quite funny that as soon they were on that awful run of form, ever since they they um, achieved that that status of being in the final and ever since that pressure valve has been released they put four pass rounds no one saw coming in they regardless of psg's performance they've got a 2-2 draw away from home and they're a bit of a, a bogey side for psg now yeah obviously they they were a team last year that, that beat psg's invincibility in the first half of the season um and you know they've been a, a significant force in league on now for the last couple of years uh, obviously having come back from bankruptcy i think was uh, seven or eight years ago um and yeah as you said they, they had been doing very well earlier this year until they got to the coupe de la league final i think they had made it into the top five it looked like they could have even qualified for the europa league uh, via their, their league position obviously that's that's faded a bit but you know they're a very capable team we've seen them draw recently at home with leon uh, and you know thierry thierry Lorray's probably one of the, the main candidates for, for coach of the year this year. He's done you know, such a stellar job. Yeah, that's the only, I think the only thing for him is there's so much competition, isn't there? There, the, the Christophe Galtier, there's a, you could you know, argue depending on how they finish. De Zakarian might be in that sort of argument. There's uh, no, David Guion. Yeah, Guion, of course. Yeah, of course. Rance as well has had a terrific season. There's so many good managers. Maybe Leon should look at one of those at least. I don't know. But I, I, I digress a little. But let's go to that battle that you just briefly mentioned there, Robin, for, for Europe. Uh, and, and Jez, there's, there's plenty of sides fighting for it, but one that probably is not, at least not 
would have wished for Champions League football rather than Europa League football. And that's Marseille. And you hinted at it a moment uh, ago that Tovan came out after that 2-0 defeat on, on Friday night saying that um, Marseille have been rubbish this season, that he, he's fed up of them not reaching it. And even if they did, they there would be no point because they're rubbish, which is all very nice hints that he wants to leave. But is he, much like we mentioned last week, is he being a little bit hypocritical and not being a little bit, um, shall we say, analytical of his own performances over the last couple of weeks and months that he's maybe not given enough either? Yeah, I think he's probably playing a clever game there. It's definitely a, a, a sort of veiled come and get me advert kind of thing. But yeah, at the same time, he's, he. It's, I guess it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing. Are they playing badly because he's playing badly or is he playing badly and therefore it's 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 making the team play worse? Um, I mean, there's a lot of Marseille fans who said that for a while now, for the last 18 months or so, he's been sort of popping up with important goals that have hidden overall bad performances and, and now he's not even doing that. And to be fair, it's not entirely, certainly since January, it's not entirely his fault because his... Um, the onus has very much changed on from from him being arguably the main playmaker to now being sort of stuck back up on the wing and, and in theory trying to provide ammunition for, for Balotelli to score instead. But whatever the reasons, clearly that as, as we kind of had a good idea about anyway, there's lots of issues behind the scenes at Marseille. There's lots of players who are unsettled. Um, some who want to leave, some who just aren't really good enough for for where Marseille want to be, and and they, I think there's going to be a huge overhaul there in the summer. I think there's got to be, and yeah, I just thought Tovan isn't, he's not going to be one of the ones pushed out, but he, I think he clearly wants to leave now. Yeah, and Robin, it was a, a strange result of the weekend, really. That Bordeaux have been. Uh, not really that much changed under Palo Sosa, maybe a little bit more urgency in their play, but they they got a nice little win here against the Marseille side that really didn't offer an enormous amount. Looking at the statistics, I, I remember watching it, but I can't remember them having 21 shots, but they, they only managed five on target to try and um, challenge Benoit Costille, and they, they struggled him in field. They, they had defensive lapses yet again. It's maybe an arguable penalty, but a bit of a silly one. And then the second one comes from yet another Jordan Armavi mistake. And I, I sort of want to say this on the left back a little bit because we mentioned last season that he had a fantastic year. There was arguments that maybe he should be um, at least considered for the French squad and and, and had really bounced back since uh, since leaving Ligue 1. But this season, he's taken a dramatic backward step. Yeah, but as you, you've hinted at, he's not the only Marseille player to be really out of form at the moment. Tovan, and I think actually Tovan admitted towards the end of last year that he would leave Marseille this summer if they didn't qualify for the Champions League. So he's kind of already said that, you know, he, he, will, he will go. Um, uh, but obviously, uh, a huge number of their players have taken a backward step. Um, I'm thinking Paye particularly can't even get in the team anymore. Uh, and and to the weekend, you did say it was a strange result, but equally Marseille famously haven't won in Bordeaux since 1977. So, it's, it's one of these games where form seems to go out of the window regardless. Um, Bordeaux have been, you know, really pretty mediocre lately and for them to win 2-0 and, and to win really quite comfortably 2-0 was, was quite surprising. Although 
Murphy have, have really revolved around Balotelli since they signed him and since he started playing regularly. Obviously, he wasn't fit to start, and you know they kind of went back to the to the, the pre Balotelli days where they didn't really seem to have any any sort of idea how to score a goal, which was made worse by the fact that Tovan is in such dire form at the moment. And I think it's it's fair to say that he's he's been one of the, the main problems as to why they've not really hit their heights in recent times. Uh, you know, as you say, they're in a lot of trouble. Um, of, of the big French clubs, the traditionally big French clubs, they've got the most work to do over the summer. Uh, I don't think they've got the depth of the squad. I don't think they've got the quality of the squad. So uh, they've got, they're going to have to make numerous signings and it's going to be a, a significant squad overhaul and you're possibly even looking at a new coach too. Mm, and that's that's going to be the, the frustrating one. And, and Tovan will try and point to to things like his goals and assists, and he'll say he's got thirteen goals this season. He's got, you know, he's got seven assists, but he's had three assists and two goals since the turn of the year. And I think that's a statement enough of how much he's not been effective enough, especially in that incredible. I one of them was a penalty that Vanitelli gave him as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was again. Yeah, against Santa and you're absolutely right, Jez, as well. So one of them has come from the spot as well. So it's a real disappointment, really, from them that they had that terrible run, didn't they? Of sort of November, December, and into January time. And as soon as Balotelli came, they had a little bit of an uplift, but it, it sort of masked a little bit of of what they've done in the last couple of weeks. They've been really poor, and it's opened the door up for a lot of teams, really, and and uh, none more so than than Ras, Jez, who've had a a fabulous season. They'll be well. They'll be delighted that they got a, another draw against uh, Leo. They, they've done magnificently in the games against those sides this season, and they've got uh, an interesting running at least. Anyway, they they'll have some confidence that if the Monaco that's turned up in the last couple of weeks, that if they get them, there's a great chance they then got Saint-Étienne, which is the easiest of games, but a, a team around in and around them at least, and then. A run against Angers, Nîmes, Caen, Bordeaux before facing a PSG side that's already won the league. There's actually a great chance there for for David Guion's side to to push into that fifth place, which, depending on obviously the, the cup final um, result, would would be a Europa League place, and it, it would be some achievement. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely room for it. It was interesting after the match that that both coaches were a bit annoyed. I think Gautier felt that that. That Rass's goal should have been ruled out for offside, and and um, Rass felt that that they should have had a penalty right at the end of the match. And um, Rass's chairman sort of went on a big rant and, and kind of said, you know, the French authorities don't like a little club like us pushing for those top places, and and that's why we're not not getting decisions in our favour. Um, <laughs> It's not that I agree with him, but I quite like that he was being bullshit like that because it sort of suggests that they're, you know, they are looking to to, to really push on and, and fight for those places till the end of the season. And um, it's it is a it's not a bad run in whatsoever. There's definitely a lot of points to be had there, and if you expect that Marseille are probably going to drop a few more points, um, teams like Montpellier have lost a lot of form. Nice. Uh, certainly never never sort of free scoring so they're not necessarily going to get any sort of gimme wins either and Saint-Étienne have, have definitely found good form recently but um, they're, they're, their squad's a little bit thinner than, than it was a few weeks back 
best, there really is room there for, for us to do something. And as you said, Monaco is actually, they have to think that that's winnable, the way that Monaco sort of calmed down a little bit from, from uh, when Jardim first came back. And then there's that huge, huge Saint-Etienne match, which really could have a, a big bearing on, on the European places. But um, yeah, I, I love the way they're playing. I love the you know, the start of the season, it was all based on defence. The second half of the season, it's been a lot more attack-minded. And so, Guillaume's shown that, that he can he can coach the team to, to, to do a bit of both. And, I, yeah, I think it would it would be great, I think, for, for French football to have, you know, one of the the original sort of great French club to, to be back in Europe. Yeah, it may annoy him a little bit, Robin, that the result, um, in midweek, the four 0 defeat of Strasbourg seems like a complete misnomer to them. Almost their entire season of of how they've built on solidity. But in the the second half of the season, they've done excellent to get um, players like Zanelli, who's added an extra injection alongside Udan, who's been terrific all season. And they they've slowly grown from being a, just a functional side that that ground out excellent results to a side that's actually become really interesting to watch. Yeah, I think you have to to accept that there was a sort of adaption process to league on. Obviously, they won uh, league two last year by you know a huge margin, a, a record margin. I think um, they certainly picked up a record number of points and wins. Um, so uh, you know they were strong defensively last year. They've, they've gone to league on this year and and kind of set their stall out to to be difficult to beat initially. Realised that they're, they're they're better than that, and they they have certainly grown. Um, Zanelli is one of the players who's most caught my eye in the second half of the season. I think he's probably been one of the, the, the January signings of, of Ligue 1. Uh, Mathieu Caffaro is another guy who's who's really impressed me. And the young striker, Bouladia, has come in and uh, proven a good alternative to Pablo Chavaria. So, you know, they, they don't just have one or two players playing well going forward. They've, they've really now got a unit of uh, five or six good attackers. And they've obviously got this this very strong defensive line, which really hasn't changed all year. Yeah, and it's a, it's a real credit to them that they they're still fighting up there. And while a couple of results can really drop them quite far, just because of the nature of this this run for for everyone, really, they, there's no doubt that they'll be delighted to even be remaining in Liga next season, especially after losing some big players in the in the summer as well. I'm going to split the, the next two teams because they did face off against each other this weekend and Nice was the one that got the victory, Jez. And uh, Patrick Vieira seems to be moulding them very much in his own image because eight of their victories this season have been 1-0, which is very reminiscent of uh, his earlier Arsenal side, shall we say, if, if the, the champ would be 1-0 to Arsenal, wouldn't it? But they are functional, if not at the same time, it always feels when watching a Nice game that they can just offer a little bit more, and it's it's epitomised in someone like uh, Alan Saint Maximan, who who has a couple of chances at the weekend and does everything right in a couple of them, including a, a terrific run for for one chance, but couldn't ensure the finish. And it just feels like if they had a little bit extra of an X factor, that they they could be a really interesting team. Yeah, I, you both mentioned a, a few managers who be be candidates for, for Liga Coach of the Year. I don't think Vieira is quite necessarily up to that, but I think he's quite he's done a, a really underrated job. I think that he effectively has no forward line. Balotelli was there the first half of the season, but let's be fair, he'd have been as useful 
you know, they, they might as well have fielded 10, 10 players most of the time. And since then, he's been experimenting with a few um, really young strikers. But the fact that the, the goal scoring owner seems to have fallen mainly to Sam Axenar, who, as you said, and as, as he showed against Montpellier, isn't a, a, a proper clinical out and out striker, um, shows that they, they really are stretched in that position. And, and so to, to, to be up there, to be sort of, I think, within three points of fifth with a, with a minus goal difference, I think shows, shows how, how well Vieira has done, keeping them tight, keeping them um, really difficult to beat. And actually that goal difference could and should be better. They've just had sort of, I think, three or four very bizarre heavy defeats dotted around the, the, you know, the really tight defence and the clean sheets. Um, Benitez had another really good match. I think he's he's done brilliantly, and it's, you know, it seems a very long time ago that he started the season on the bench. And, and you know, Cardinal seems a, a sort of distant memory now. And I think Vieira really has proven what a good manager he is. I think he's 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 shown that he can manage play as well. Um, Balotelli would disagree, but I think he even managed that situation as well as he could. Um, by all accounts, Sam Maxima isn't always the, the easiest player to deal with, but, but I think he's handling him well. And uh, I think Sam Maxima posted quite a nice photo that the rounds on social media after the match with, with um, him and Vieira arm in arm, which suggests that certainly at the moment they're in a good place. And, um, you know, I really hope that, that the stability that we've seen more or less in, at Nice the last two, three years, um, there's obviously been changes in terms of sporting director and there's rumours at the moment that um, Jim Ratcliffe would like to buy them. But um, hopefully they can keep an element of stability, invest well, really show faith in Vieira. And hopefully with a, with a more balanced squad next year, we'll really be able to see what a great coach he, he has the potential to become. Yeah, that's going to be the interesting one to follow for the summer for the club, isn't it? The, the fact that current owners don't seem too willing to sort of open their pockets up and try and find some players to actually influx this squad because they've really brought in barely anyone really for the club in the last two win- windows and the the speech that at least uh, Jim Ratcliffe's brother gave saying that they, they wanted long-term investment for the club and, and were, were willing to really invest in football because of their passion for the sport and their, their love for the for the area at least anyway that um, it would be a really interesting one if they, they, any discussions do heat up. But the uh, club president uh, Gautier Gagne did say uh, last uh, during the mix zone after that game that it, they've learnt someone wants to buy the club, but they're not willing to sell. So there's no movement there yet. But we'll wait and see. But as for their opponents, Montpellier, um, it's been a funny second half of the season. Robin, very similar to a lot of <laughs> Montpellier seasons, it seems like they they go off to such an excellent start and it fades away in the in the second half of the season where they've sort of dipped in and out of wins, uh, some crazy results here and there, especially like the four uh, two defeat to to Montpellier. But regardless, they'll they'll be happy to be in the top half of the table anyway. And with the run in that they've got, there's there's wins available to them and. They've got what is now um, a great tandem up front, which is something we haven't seen for a long while in, in Montpellier. And those two in in Delora and, and Laborde just never really quite worked anywhere else in the last couple of years. But together, they just made a, a nice little dynamic duo that they've built on and something they can build on for next season. Yeah, absolutely. Montpellier, one of these teams that 
you know, avoiding the, the worst of the relegation battles almost what they're aiming at for the start of the season. It does look like Europe's going to be a little bit beyond them. I think they've only won a couple of league on matches since the turn of the year, maybe three. Um, and, and they've not really beaten anybody of note. So you, you'd be surprised if they, they kind of kicked on again, although I think they've got to lose at the weekend, which is a certainly a winnable match. Um, but yeah, um, I, as you said, going on to the Delors and Labor, they've both had very strong seasons. Delors is obviously a player who's, who's kind of flashed in and out of form, depending where he's been and at, and at what particular stage of his career it's been. Uh, and and Labor was a really good pickup in the summer. If you remember back, it was it was his exit from Bordeaux that, that really was the catalyst of of Poyet leaving Bordeaux and then uh, effectively them falling apart. And certainly Bordeaux's loss has been Montpellier's gain. Uh, and yeah, I, I can see them finishing top half. They, they will be a little bit disappointed about how the season's kind of petered out, but I, I think they can they can be proud of their efforts. Yeah, it's a bit funny that we forget about that sort of moment, isn't it? Right near the start of the season, it was sort of done behind uh, Poyer's back and led to that. But uh, he's been terrific for Montpellier and they'll be delighted. The final team, just quickly, we want to mention in this race to Europe because, uh, ironically, Jez, they, if they win the Coupe de France final, it won't matter for the rest of these, a lot of these teams because they'll steal the place. But Renault will be a little bit disappointed at their uh, performance of the weekend simply because they got themselves into a great position and, and, and let it slip on a couple of occasions, got themselves ahead and went 2-1 down. They got 3-2 up and then allowed it to slip in the, the final moments. But uh, the real talking point, I suppose, in that game is the one that a lot of YouTubers will love and, and the, those on Twitter is the the wonderful, yet again, Hatem Ban goal, just reminding us of the, the quality he can do. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not his biggest fan, so I'm not going to be overly charitable. And, and the fact that you mentioned YouTube probably sums it up. I'm, not, I'm also not a big Barton fan, but I can't remember who it was. Maybe Neymar, who he described as a as a YouTube player. I think Ben Arthur definitely is one of them. Um, as a as a neutral, you know, paying to to hope that he does something like that, it was fantastic, but. I'd still be very frustrated if he was if he was playing for my team and and you know going missing for for a few matches, even if you get that that sort of split second or thirty seconds of brilliance like like he came up with on on um, at the weekend. Um, and, and you know maybe that's that's sort of where Ren are at the moment that they're they're so close to being a really good team and and you know, Stefan hasn't been there long and. and the way he's going so far, he, he he probably it looks like he is on the way to making them a good team. As long as they don't do what they did the last few summers and and have too much of an overhaul where where it wasn't needed. Um, if if he can keep all those young players um, at at the club, keep them motivated and playing for him, then next season um, with a you know, full pre-season under him and a full season under him. I think they, they really should be challenging for Europe, but the, this year it seems just they're just a little bit too far out. I know it's sort of quite bunched up and they've got a game in hand, but it just feels like it's sort of surprising considering how good their 2019 has felt so far. That they're still mid-table, they're still in 10th place. It feels like they, they could and should be a lot higher than that. And and 
um, this weekend's results sort of showed where where it is that they need to improve. Maybe they're still a little bit naive, and they still they they need to work a little bit better on on closing games out once they've taken the lead and that kind of thing. But certainly, they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, and that's the funny catch twenty two I think about this one, Robin, because they do still have a chance of of getting to to fifth, which will be a, a, a great chance for them to think that any result in the cup final means that they'll they'll get into Europe but because they're only sort of six points off Marseille at the moment really and if all the results go their way there's a great chance but the running is Nîmes, Nice, Dijon, Monaco, Toulouse, Gangon, Strasbourg and in the final day of the season they play Lille so it's not the most threatening really but do they concentrate on trying to fight for that fifth place or or do they maybe put all their efforts and, and all their eggs in the in the uh, Coupe de France basket? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's the question with them. Um, they've obviously got this game in hand um, against Nîmes tomorrow night as well, which if they win that, that reduces it to, to three points, I guess. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, things look look really pretty rosy for them uh, with Dijon and Gango in the running. Um, I, I think with regards to the Coupe de France final, I think that's one that they, they have to go out and try to win. Rennes aren't a club with a particularly good history of winning Trophies have obviously had heartache in the, the, the Coupe de France final in recent years. They've lost twice to Gangon. Uh, so I, I think for the prestige of the club, I think the Coupe de France final has to be their, their chief priority. But obviously they can't allow the, the league just to kind of drift by either. Um, they should have enough time after after the final to, to kind of regain their energy and make a final push in May. But... Uh, I certainly think that that match against PSG could be could be one that defines their season, and it's one that they've got a chance of winning if if they play to their very best. Particularly as we've seen PSG struggle in recent times. Although I, I think PSG are hopeful of having Neymar back by that stage. Yeah, it's going to be a, a funny one, isn't it? Especially if Neymar is back, that makes a right task even more difficult. We're going to finish tonight with our usual uh, legal snapshot. So a story from from this weekend or from this week, at least anyway, that we've not talked about this evening. And I'll start with yourself, Jez. What's your legal snapshot this week? Um, because well, partly because it's it's pretty much the only match that, that we haven't really spoken about. Actually, I just wanted to mention Amiens Saint Etienne. Um, Saint Etienne certainly over the last few years haven't necessarily necessarily been known for for playing for sort of great champagne football, but it was a two-all draw. But it was a fantastic match, just end-to-end stuff, some some great goalkeeping from Gertner, especially I think Woodward Woodwork hit a few times. Um, a couple of great goals in there. Nice double from from Canate, who's kind of um, one of our favourites and someone that we've spoken about before as 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 being um, sort of key to, to Amiens' chances of staying up. You got a red card in there. There was just a bit of everything, and it was um, again just sort of defending league as often it's it's maligned as as um, a boring league compared to others, but you do every now and again get a, a sort of jewel of a match and this one really was one of them cracking match. Yeah, and all I could think at the end of it as well was uh, one of these teams that are fighting for Europe that's not getting the goals has to look at Musa Kanate at the summer. He's tw- he'll be 27 by that time he turns 27. Um, I th- almost fa- in fact, he's only just turned 26, so he's still um, still of a, of a good age. He, he's scoring league and goals. If he can just stay fit, we know he can grab them. It's someone 
willing enough to give him that chance really next season maybe that um, he's got to be picking up some some interest after his performances for for Amion. Robin what's your Liga snapshot? Um, well mine's a little bit different in that uh, it's about the fans rather than the, the, the clubs um, a couple of weeks ago San Etienne fans were complaining that their match had been shifted because of the Gilets Jean and uh, the, 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 the football supporters in France had have got a terrible name and they're, they're treated worse than the, the Gilets Jean who have obviously run riot around so many French towns. Um, I was reading in West France today that uh, a group of Rennes fans are, are trying to to prevent a, a family of Armenian refugees from being uh, uh, deported from the country. Um, the, 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 the kids are fans of, of football. Uh, they're meant to be going to the Wins World Cup in Rennes with their school. Uh, and and the Ren fans are really trying to rally around and uh, get the, get this family support this family and ensure they're not deported, which I think is really quite heartwarming. It gives a good impression of football fans, which isn't really the case in France, as I've mentioned. So yeah, I, I would go with this. Yeah, it's nice to hear that, especially like you say, not just in France at the moment. There's a lot of uh, unrest with fans in, in a number of different areas in, at the moment, and it's great to hear a, a lovely story like that. My, mine goes to the player who's going to win what I like to call the Kawasaki Award of being the most nutty red card footballer of the season in Liga, and that's uh, Andre Girotto, who got his third red card this weekend. It was a bit of an over the top challenge on it on the ball, and it's. It's not surprising to see him have five yellow cards and three reds in 16 games and 15 starts, which is pretty impressive in itself. But uh, I don't know how other managers handle this, but I don't think I would have, I don't think he'd have any wages left if he had three red cards for me in a season. Let's put it that way. But uh, um, not the most prestigious of, um, of uh, awards to give the Brazilian, but I don't think anyone is going to have the uh, mood to ch- catch him yet. Although there's, there may be just enough games for Kawasaki to get his own couple of red cards and that, get his suspensions out of the way, but we shall wait and see on that one. Uh, that's all that we have for this week. My thanks to Robin, Jez, and all of you listening at home. Uh, do join us for the preview show, which will be back on Thursday, and the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto. And goodbye.